Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning, Hope Rock Church. Morning. How is everybody here this beautiful lunchtime? See, it's 12.30, right? That's the time. I mean, for real, like, how do you feel coming to church, like, at midday? I'm just kidding. It's 11 o'clock. Okay, we do not. You know, in South Africa, we don't do this craziness, this jumping around with time. In South Africa, time is consistent. In Africa, time is time. You can take it to the bank. Yeah, it changes all the time. I don't understand it. I still haven't quite grasped it, but guess what? We're an hour later. No, what do we, I don't even know what it is. We fell back. Right, fall back, spring forward. Here we go. Okay. Anyway, a couple of reminders. Worship night is happening on Tuesday. Please don't forget, that's two nights or two days from today. 7 p.m. it starts. We have no other ministry happening that night. No prayer meeting. There's going to be no 620 students. There's going to be no 620 sisters. There's going to be no key women Bible study. There's going to be no life groups. Everything is shutting down because we all want you to come and worship with us here. So please be here 7 p.m. shop. We will be taking roll call and registering you here because that's how you get points in the kingdom. I'm just kidding. I'm just, you know that's a joke, guys. I'm just joking. But seriously, it's an awesome time. Ordination's happening on Sunday as well. Uh, as a reminder, we're ordaining two new couples onto the team. So the mills and the battens, and it's going to be a super great day. If you want to be a part of the actual ordination itself, that's the first service, 9 a.m. Uh, and we try and do that at the 9 a.m. service because we try to encourage more people to come to 9 a.m. service because, you know, you guys like to sleep in late. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, Marcus, who is coming to do the ordination, will be with us for both services. So if you can't make it the first and the second, it's better for you. Come to that one. Marcus is going to preach either way, and we're going to get a great message. It's going to be a great Sunday. And then can I ask the Dittmans, please, the Sims we did in the first meeting, Andrews, uh, Lupita, and the Walters family, to please come up here to the front. They're in trouble. Let's give them a hand for being in trouble. Hallelujah. Yes. Just kidding, they're not in trouble. Uh, we, in this church, run a course called DNA every third Sunday, Saturday of the month. Um, the Sunday version is called church. The, the, the DNA version happens on a Saturday, and we meet, we get together, and we just get to know each other. It's an opportunity, if you're new to Hope Rock Church, to get to know us a little bit more, understand what makes us tick, what our doctrines are, what we believe, who we are as a team, and it also helps us to get to know you a little bit better. It's very informal, and it's over breakfast tacos. That's not a punt, but we are having one in two weeks' time. So just, if you are new and you want to do it, please come do it. In that sort of Saturday morning course, what we do is quite intentionally ask everybody that's going through it to ask God and to pray to see if God wants implanted in this local church. We believe that church is an important commitment in terms of being part of a local community. It's family. It's like being adopted into a family. Miss Ashley just said it this morning. Yes, we're adopted into the kingdom of God, but God puts the lonely into family. And so here we are as this new expanding, ever expanding family. So this morning we want to pray for them. We want to honor them. And we're going to ask of you a couple of things. I'm going to commit to a couple of things and they're going to commit to a couple of things. First of all, us as the leadership, elders and deacons will commit to pray for you, to honor you, to protect you, to look after you as best we can. We are asking that the church, the body, welcomes you into this body by inviting you over for a meal, maybe two meals, who knows, getting to know these amazing people if you don't know them already. And then what we're asking of you as you become part of this family is to do the same for us, to pray for us, to honor us, to be friends with everybody in this room and to protect the integrity of God's kingdom. So that's pretty simple, right? Amen. It's like a marriage. It's like a pretty awesome marriage. Okay, I'm going to pray. Deacons, can you come up? Lay hands on this amazing group of people. Um, and we're going to welcome them into our body. Come on, come on. Where's that? 
Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're coming. Yeah, no, come on, man. Come on. Yes. Huh. So you can see it's a full back day, eh? Father, we thank you for all of these families represented here. We thank you, Lord, that this kingdom is not your, our kingdom, it's your kingdom. Thank you, Father, that you add to your kingdom and you add to this local church for the advancing of your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that you would inspire in each of these families the gifts, the talents, and the, just the, the, the community spirit that they have to bring what they've got into this family so we can go out there and change the world. Lord, I pray for their protection. I pray for their uh, families. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and protect them in all that they do and that they would feel welcome and loved in this local church family. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Woo, let's give them a hand. So after church today... If you, don't, if you haven't met any of these guys, uh, not the deacons, because by now you should know all the deacons, but these new families, you guys can go to, you can be seated now. Thank you. Oh, you can stay here with me. This will be pretty awesome. No. <laughs> um, if you don't know them yet, and you've never chatted to them, today's the day to do it. There's coffee and tea out there. We want you to make them feel welcome even today. So last week, Sunday, we concluded our modern day Reformation series. Uh, I hope that everybody here enjoyed it as much as I did. I certainly found value and always do find value in reminding myself of the solas of the Reformation, those key truths. And this morning, we're going to jump back into our Kingdom Value series. This is the sort of vanilla version of the series. The Kingdom Values around the Reformation were specific to the solas, but we also want to talk about other Kingdom Values because the Reformers came up with some really great truths, but there are some values that we need to hold on to as a church. We've unpacked three of them already. Uh, in fact, this series will come to, to an end after one more of these preachers for now. But what we've unpacked so far in our first Sunday of looking at Kingdom Values was the value of community. So God places us into community. We've just seen a great example of that here in front. God connects and knits the lonely into families. It's important to be a part of a local community because then you are protected, uh, you are shepherded, you are loved. Uh, the second thing we looked at was the church, the big C church, the global church, how God connects us into community so that we can be a part of the advancing kingdom. You can't be a part of the big church, the big C church, without being part of a local church. Okay? You can't do it the other way around. You have to be knitted and integrated into the body. But key, the Big C Church is not defeated. It is victorious. It's not retreating. It's advancing. Okay, we serve a king who is on the throne, not off the throne, not on the side of the throne, not waiting for the throne to be built. He is on the throne, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we are his ambassadors on this earth, and so we need to take the kingdom of God to the world. Not in fear, but in boldness. Right? Amen. And then we looked at maturity. You know, everyone loves that subject. It's my children's favorite topic, maturity. I always say to my kids, you need to mature. Uh, I don't know what's happening here. This thing says I'm out of time already. Is it possible? No ways. Uh. Um, maturity, which is a reminder again that we need to grow up to be the people that Jesus wants to come back for. Okay, he is coming back. That's without a shadow of a doubt. But he needs his church to get to the point where he wants to come back and he's ready for, it, for, for him to come back too. And so that's all of our jobs from today onwards. This morning, we're going to be moving on to a different topic, one of the kingdom values called God's provision. In particular, we're going to look at God's provision and how it relates to us living financially free lives. Uh, and so this is the talk about finances, right? We get to do this every so often at this local church. It's the greatest talk of the world. Everyone loves it. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it. Finances are part of God's kingdom, and so there's no need to apologize, right? It's a happy talk. In fact, I was chatting to someone who asked me not to mention their name and said, speaking about finances is a great thing. Why? Because it's not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. Amen? Finances is meant to be a liberating discussion. 
I feel liberated right now. But let me give you a testimony on that note. So this whole week I was trying to prepare for this preach, and I knew that we were going to preach on finances and have known for some time. And so I was praying and seeking the Lord, and what should I be preaching on? Do I need to get clever and try and make the funny finance preach or whatever? And then the Lord was like, no, you, last year you preached a series called Rich Towards God. Why don't you just use that? And I was like, oh, I don't use my own preachers. That's ridiculous. What will Tony think of me if I preach the same message twice? So I was like, no ways, Lord. I mean, I get it, but I'm going to change it. And so I started to work on it. I changed it. My wife was giving me a hard time from day one. She's like, why are you complicating this? You know, and I was like, no, because that's how it is. You know, the more clever I can seem to you, the more you guys will love me. I'm just bearing my soul here, right? I'm also a human being, okay? So anyway, I did all that. I knew I was going to be out of town on Friday night. So go out of town, come back Saturday. I think I've got everything waxed. I get home and I start looking at this preach. I'm like, okay, Lord, I've done all the work. And I'm just like, what is this? I didn't even understand what I wrote. Like, honestly, it was confusing me. I was like, man, if I'm confused, bro, like, seriously, I'm going to confuse everyone. And then I just felt that gentle nudge again, saying, why don't you just go back to what you preached? And so here I am eating humble pie, and I want to ask all of you that are old hands at Hope Rock, if you've heard some of this stuff before, it's good. God wants to clearly remind you and me of something. If you are new to Hope Rock Church, well, God wants us to hear something fresh today. So that's how it's going to be. Speaking of finances is difficult. Let's not beat around the bush. It's difficult because it challenges our hearts. Right? Our hearts are very good at uh, being selfish and greedy. Right? That's who we are in our sinful human flesh. That's how the enemy of the world wants us to operate. It's also difficult because it starts to deal with things that we worship. In particular, the tendency that we have to worship other things apart from God. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory, essentially. He said it's a forge of idols in the mind, effectively saying that we as humanity love to cl cl cling on to things that are really going to provide us security and comfort and peace. And those things become the idols in our lives. And it can happen so quickly. I want to be very clear. It's not like we wake up in the morning saying, Lord, I need another idol. No, it happens when you get blessed, right? You know, we prayed about this this morning at the prayer meeting. It happens when God pours himself out on you in a specific way. Then all of a sudden, that thing that was a blessing now becomes a curse because you need it to survive. We need to not be a people that operate like that. You see, John Calvin knew that given the opportunity, we would make things idols. Last week, Sunday, we spoke about this briefly when we looked at Sola Dei Gloria and how everything we do is meant to be for the glory of God. And so if you examine your heart and you see that anything's on the throne, the quickest way of defining it is, does this thing bring glory to God or does it bring glory to me? That's how I found quite helpful to look at areas in my life. One of the most prolific idols we face today and one that controls everything that we do in most of our lives, is money. Now, I want to be clear. Money is an inanimate ob object. It has no uh, powers in it. It's not like some Satanist in the Federal Reserve prays over every dollar bill and says, yes, go out there. This is the demon of the world. It's going to destroy everyone. Money is just a trading currency, like fruit was back then, or shells, or you know, whatever the stuff that they used to transact before anything. Gold. Diamonds, shells, bitcoins, right? All of those things are just transactional items. There are no good things in it. There's no, they're just inanimate. So money is not the problem here. Our hearts are, right? In addition, I want to say this, because a lot of time we've taught about money, and people tend to think that the more wealthier you are, the more evil you are. If you're wealthy, then you must be going to hell, right? Didn't Jesus say that? He said that it's impossible for rich people to ever go to heaven. No, he didn't say that. What he was saying is that when you do have wealth, when we do have comforts, when we do have possessions, it's very hard to see that we need something outside of ourselves because we can provide for our own needs. And that's why it's more possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God. But then Jesus ends with a statement. He says, but what is impossible with man 
is possible with God. Poor people are not righteous. Rich people are not wicked. Straight up. You can be poor and wicked. You can be rich and wicked. You can be poor and righteous, and you can be rich and righteous. It's got nothing to do with your social standing. The reason Jesus spoke the way he did is that it's just harder because we can find everything we need within our own means. And so faith is a challenge. But since God gives us faith, I believe God is going to give us extra faith today too. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, what Jesus in the preceding verses is doing is he speaks about two things. He speaks about treasures and he speaks about lamps. He says, where you lay up your treasures is ultimately where your heart is, right? So he says, don't store your treasures up on this earth or in this temporal life where it can be eaten up and destroyed by the moths and the thieves will come in and break in and steal it. Rather, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust or whatever else it is can come in and take it away. In other words, that's sure, heaven, this is unsure, earth. He also speaks about lamps, things that cast vision for us, right? If anyone's ever seen a lamp, a lamp does a job and it lights this, the path in front of us. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not a spotlight, not a floodlight, it is a lamp. It shows you where to go in the next step. What Jesus is saying is that when we cast our eyes for our next steps onto the temporal things of this world, we're going to end up in trouble. But if we cast our eyes and our vision to the lamp of God, the light of his word and what he says to us will always be okay. And what Jesus is doing is he's making a point. He's saying the choice between two treasures, where we lay them up in the two visions, where we fix our eyes, is a more basic choice. And that choice is simply this. Who are we going to serve? The Greek word or the Aramaic word, mamonas or mammon in the Greek that's used there just simply means riches. Another way of looking at it, another definition of it, is, is that thing in which we place our trust. So are we going to place our trust in something apart from God? That's Jesus' question. What will you trust in today? Will you trust in me and all that I have for you? Or will you trust in the things that you can manufacture yourself? And that's the key. You see, both of these things are in operation in the world. Sometimes people think that they can opt out of the systems of the world. Like, we don't want to serve God because we don't buy into it. Here we go, you know, this God, we don't believe him. But we're also not of the world. We're just going to go live in Colorado. Nothing wrong with Colorado, by the way. I'm talking about like in the mountains of Colorado. There's nothing wrong, I mean, just out in, in West Texas, wherever, right? You're going to live somewhere far away off the grid. Everyone's somewhere off the grid, right? The challenge is you can't opt out of the world and or the kingdom of God. You'll always be in one or the other. There are only two kingdoms in operation, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. It doesn't matter where you live. Even in Antarctica, the kingdom of the world is there because your heart goes with you. And so we have a choice. Which master will we serve? One or the other. And this notion that we can have a little bit of God in our lives plus a little bit of the world in our lives doesn't show a partial commitment to discipleship. It shows a total commitment to idolatry. That's what it does. You see, when we say that we can do it, we can have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, we're not being half disciples. We're being idolaters. I know that sounds harsh, but I'm speaking to myself. It wasn't intended for anyone in this room. And so that's the challenge, right? Because money is a part of our lives. There's no denying it. Everything we do relates and transacts around money. You can't pay your rent with kindness. I mean, maybe in some cultures you can, but in this culture here, it's not going to go really far. You know, you can't, you, you can't go to the store and say, you know, I'm not going to use money today because I've opted out of that system, and so I'm just going to take my eggs. <laughs> we have to use money to transact. Money is not the enemy. And so how do we live in a world where money is, you know, literally the currency of the day, to follow God and not to follow the world. If we think about it, just money in itself affects so many things already. It affects where we work, how much money we earn is often a determining factor in terms of who we'll work for, the culture of the company. 
you know, that will determine where you live. And where you live will determine who your friends are. And who your friends are will determine where you go to church. So money ultimately gets you into a particular type of church. Some churches offer some people, other churches of other people. I said this, this morning, in Africa, people worship under a bush or a tree. And the bush is really, like, you've got to be short to worship under a bush. But we have small people too in Africa. But mostly under trees. That's what I actually meant. Some places people won't worship unless they're in a cathedral. And so money determines a lot of what we do in our lives and what we have access to. And so to avoid the trap of money, it's critical that we formulate a strategy to live financially free lives. And to do that, we need to figure some things out. So let's bow our heads and I'll take you through a few quick points. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have to teach about stewardship and finance. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God of everything that we see in this word. And we don't hold our punches when it comes to teaching about other things. And so we don't hold our punches about teaching about finance too. Father, I pray that you'd bless this word, that you'd prepare our hearts to receive it, and that you'd bring, you'd bring revelation of this truth. Not that I would bring a revelation, but that you would to each and every one of our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 12, there's a parable. The parable is about, well, I'm going to get to the parable, but in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about a lot of stuff. Primarily, everything that he's speaking about to his disciples and to the teachers and the scribes and to everybody around him is about him being the Messiah, the coming King, the Son of God, that he is who everybody has been waiting for. He's talking about his deity. And so while he's in this deep conversation about who he is, this guy just decides that he's got something better to ask Jesus, right? Out of the blue. This Jesus, this Jesus, Jesus was a master of interruptions. Let me tell you, that guy got interrupted all the time. Whenever he went on vacation, he got interrupted, right? He goes on vacation, he wants to get away from everything, go take some time off with his disciples. You know, 5,000 people show up. Right? And then he's got to feed them, not just like say hello to him, he's got to feed them, and then they want more of him, then they follow him everywhere he goes. They wake up in the morning, he's gone, they get into their boats, they follow him everywhere. Jesus is interrupted wherever he goes, and he's interrupted again. But what's interesting about this interruption is it shows how our human hearts are so fickle. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, speaking about his deity, right? Talking about how amazing he, he is, because he is, he's God. And this guy misses it all, and he says, hang on, just, just stop there for a second. I need you to help me with a problem. Here's my problem. My brother doesn't want to give me my inheritance. And so I get that you God, that's amazing, wonderful, but I need my money. Jesus doesn't, you know, rebuke him really directly. He does respond with this parable. And it says this in Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger barns. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Man, it's pretty warm in this place, right? Does anyone else feel warm? Charlie feels cold. Feel, not cold, not warm. You're hot. Can we like... Let's crank it up, guys. Minus 16, right, Ashley? I don't know. Well, yeah, so, the, so, so Lindsay, just push that. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, guys. Sorry. I think it's this flannel stuff as well. Every time it comes to this time of the year, it gets hot because it's not really cold. And it's not really hot. Man, that was the devil trying to distract me. So here we have a man, you know, who's building these bonds. He's a rich man. The Bible says clearly he was rich. He wasn't poor and came into riches. He was rich to start off with. Now God has made him more rich. But he has a problem. His problem is what does he do with all this money? Where does he put it? Which bank does he go to? How does he deposit it? In his case, it was bonds. In our case, it would be a vault. Build a bigger vault. We need more money, more space. Or we need banks that can look after us with all these cool gimmicks that they sell us. 
But instead of intelligent, the God doesn't say to this man, well done, you're very astute, you're a great financial planner, you've been planning ahead, I'm so proud of you, it's amazing. He says, no, you're a fool. And we have to ask the question, why does God call him a fool? You see, this man's a fool because he lost sight of the fact that his life was never in his control. None of us today can guarantee what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, none of us here can even guarantee that we'll be alive tomorrow. That's just the reality. We don't know. What we've learned in the last two years is life is uncertain. We should have known this before, but if anything, we've seen it more and more now. And so we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Here was this man making all these plans about the future that he was going to have when God said to him, today your soul will be required of you. He's a fool because in building these bonds, he neglected to build more important spiritual bonds. You see, he was building bonds on this earth, but I have never seen anyone take what they have here to the kingdom, right? God does, however, tell us how to build our inheritance in his kingdom. And what we do is we live our lives for Christ. By living our lives for Christ means that one day when we're in eternity, we will receive all the blessings and all the inheritance that he's got stored up for us. So which side of eternity are we building our faith in? Is it this side of eternity or that side? That will change your whole life. If you live for the eternity to come, then you'll always be a kingdom-minded people. But if we're content in big bonds and big bank balances and big vaults, now there's nothing wrong, please, again, there's nothing wrong with having a big bank balance. But if you're content with this side of eternity, we're missing something. And finally, he's a fool because the only person that ever mattered to this man was himself. You know, he could have easily have thought to himself, the Lord has blessed me in abundance. I was rich to start with, now I'm double rich. What is it, Lord, that you would have me do with the things that you've given me? Who needs it? What can I do with it? I can't possibly use it in my lifetime. How can I steward what you've given me to see your kingdom advance? He doesn't think about that. He thinks about himself. And that's one of the side effects of money, right? If we make it our master, it makes us selfish. It makes us greedy. We've all been there at times. We've all done this, I'm sure. I know I have. Personally, I've been there. I've been there where I have not been as generous to God as I should have been or not as generous to people as I should have been. And so how do we avoid being fools and how do we avoid becoming selfish and greedy? Well, Luke, in chapter 12, verse 21, Jesus gives us a very clear answer. He says, so is the one, a fool, who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So this is the ultimate statement. Fools are people who, do, who lay up treasures for themselves and are not rich towards God. If we had to repurpose this verse really quickly to something that we could live by, we could say this, the wise man or woman are the ones that choose not to lay up treasures for themselves selfishly or greedily, nor find comfort in things that are temporary, but rather choose to be rich towards God in their time, their thoughts, their actions, and their giving. So that's the, the positive spin on what Jesus was saying. That's how we need to live our lives. In other words, what this is telling us is that for us to live our lives in a financially free way, we need to frame our view of finances around God and not God around our view of finances. To live financially free lives means that we live a life that is 100% focused on Him and living out our call for the kingdom. Whatever that means. And for each of us, it's different. That's the key. There is no cookie-cutter approach here. Every one of us has got different calls, different missions on this earth, different people to reach. And God will resource you differently to do that. For some people, the resourcing is in literal money. For others, it's in time. For others, it's in talents and a combination of all of them, right? But just because I'm called to do one specific thing doesn't mean that's all of our calls. But if we live our lives for the kingdom and we build our finances around the kingdom call, then we're living financially free lives. And so I've got four points on how, on how to help us to do that. The first point is this. For us to be financially free is we have to settle the ownership issue. That's a key part of this whole thing. If we don't know who owns it, then we'll always be conflicted about it. And when I say it, I mean finances. Back in the parable in verse 16, right at the beginning, 
Jesus says the land of this rich man produced bountifully. The land produced bountifully. Notice he didn't say the rich man produced bountifully. His astute ability at farming seeds produced bountifully. His investments produced bountifully. No, the land produced bountifully. And that's a great question. Who is it that gets the credit for this? Who actually created the wealth? Who gave it to him in the first place? I mean, certainly the man did something. He, he probably planted the seed. He maybe sent out his laborers to you know, rake the ground and clean it up. And he did some stuff. But he didn't force the seeds to grow. He didn't crack those seeds and force the germination. He didn't make the seeds themselves. Without seed, there's nothing to sow, right? Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything on this earth was created by God. Nothing exists without God. Therefore, everything that has been created exists for God. Later on in Genesis chapter 9, I mean chapter 1 verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You see, what this man saw as his own wise, astute, businessman-like behavior was actually God's common grace. The Bible says that God will send rain to the land of the wicked as much as he sends land to the, ran, to the land of the righteous. Like we all breathe the same air. We all live on the same earth. We all get to benefit from gravity. It's not like only Christians stay rooted to the ground and everybody else floats off into space. We all get these common things on this earth. God put them in place. This man benefited from them. The rain was God's idea, not his idea. But he wants it all about to be himself. And we do the same. We live our lives honestly, always thinking that the stuff that we have belongs to us. And it's our stuff. You know, I love going to the movies. And for those of you that heard this analogy this morning, forgive me, but I love, I love going to the cinema not so much since COVID, just because it's just, I think the movies are terrible now. But I really like going to the movies and getting popcorn and eating stuff. It's really fun to go with little children, as many as possible, because that's always exciting uh, to look after everyone and make sure they're not grabbing everything and throwing popcorn at everyone in the movie house. That's my favorite time. I'm just kidding. But what I am saying to you is when you do go to the movies with kids, inevitably you're going to buy stuff okay, from the concession stand, which is very expensive, by the way. You buy popcorn and sweets and gummies and all these clever combos. Arabella's a candy nut. She likes the... Candy stuff, not popcorn. But she wants popcorn, but she doesn't like it. But she needs it to feel complete. So she gets her popcorn, I get my popcorn, and she gets her candy, and I get my soda. And we go inside, watch the thing, and they make the trailers four hours long. So by the time the trailers end, you've finished your popcorn already, right? And so I know she's not going to eat her popcorn. I want to eat her popcorn. And she starts to smack my hand. It's like, no, that's my popcorn. I got that popcorn. And it's how we treat God, right? God gives us our popcorn, but we want to hold on to our popcorn. Sam's laughing. Do you feel like some popcorn now, Sam? Okay, good job. Next time we'll serve popcorn. The second thing we have to understand is why giving is even necessary. God's not in heaven today stressing about how he's going to pay for the eternal bank accounts. He's not stressed about how the sun will rotate on its axis if he doesn't get finances from us to top up the prepaid meter in his house. God doesn't need our money. He literally doesn't need it. In fact, in Psalm 50, it says this, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. That's God speaking to us. If I was hungry, you would be the last people on the face of the earth I went to. Why? Because you can't do anything for me. He goes on to say this, for the world and its fullness are mine. Everything in this earth is mine. I don't need you. You need me. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Now we're getting to the point why giving is necessary. It's interesting that God doesn't eat the flesh of bulls nor drink the blood of goats. That's a rhetorical question in case you're wondering. Yet he commands sacrifice. In this context here, in the Psalms, they were under the law. And you had to bring your sacrifice to atone for your sins. 
They burnt the sacrifice on the altar. The incense went up, or the smell of the sacrifice went up to God and was a pleasing aroma. But he didn't eat it. He didn't need it. And it shows us something key. You see, we give to God because in that moment, it's a sacrificial act of worship. Every time we give to God and we sow into the kingdom, what we're doing is circumcising our hearts and saying, Lord, you are more important to me than the finances I have, than the material possessions that I have, because ultimately without you, there would be none of them. Robert Morris puts it this way. He says, God didn't create giving for his sake. He created the principle of giving for our sakes. Giving more than anything else works selfishness and greed out of our hearts. The third point to become financially free is we have to understand what happens when we give because a number of things do happen. In Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 it says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. So the context here is the year of the Sabbath, the seventh year. The Bible commanded, or the law commanded, that every seven years you would leave a portion of your land fallow. You wouldn't farm it. Okay? In other words, you could do with the money that you could generate from it, but you weren't supposed to use it. Because again, you were saying, Lord, it's fine, I'll be short this year, but you will make up the difference. In addition, it was a year when you forgave debts, the year of remission. If anybody owed you money, you would cancel that debt. And then every seven times seven years, which was the 50th year, it would be called the year of Jubilee. Okay, which means even your property that you were renting or you had sold could effectively come back to you. Amazing times. I wish it worked like that these days, right? It doesn't work like that anymore. The point being, and what the author, or what Moses wants us to understand, is that if it comes to the seventh year, and just before that, the sixth year, some of your brothers say, listen, I desperately need money to you know, put my kid through you know, some type of medical treatment. You shouldn't think to yourself, actually, I'm not going to give money to them because next year the debt will be canceled. You see, when we give, the first thing it does is it deals with our wicked hearts. Because what the text tells us here is that when we operate like that, when we give in the expectation that we might not be given back anything of it, it says you be guilty of sin. Giving deals with sin. It actually takes sin out of our hearts and it gives it back to the enemy of the world because it's counter-cultural. It's counter and contrary to our human nature. And so we're becoming more Christ-like. The second thing that it does is it deals with the selfishness of our hearts. You know, when we give, we always are giving generally because we love God and we want to serve Him. But there are times where sometimes we think in our minds, maybe I'm giving to get. Some churches have preached this message for many years and told people that the more you give, the more God's going to give you. Shaken up, pressed together to overflowing, right? The challenge is the context of that particular scripture has got nothing to do with giving. It's got to do with forgiving people and loving people in your interpersonal relationships. It's got to do with don't judge people. Don't look at the speck in your neighbor's eye. Look at the plank in your own eye. That's the context of that whole shaken down, pressed together to overflowing. It's about forgiveness. Give more forgiveness. Give more love. Become more Christ-like. God will give you more. Not give more to God so that I can keep Italian and say, Lord, guess what? You owe me big time, man. Oof, this month's going to be a harvest. I'm not saying God doesn't do it. I'm saying all of this to you to say the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping exists. Everybody in the world benefits from it, not just believers. Okay, we see it in operation all around us. But if we give to get, and we know that selfishness and greed has by God's purpose been designed to be worked out of our heart when we give, then when we give to get, we're working it right back in. And so everything we've done to lose this wicked heart of ours, we're bringing back by saying, God, I did what I had to do this month. You owe me one and a half times. 
Thank you, Lord, because I've been really good this month. Didn't kick the dog. Verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. This is a command, friends. The commandment is that when we give, we deal with our forgetful hearts. Commandment is to give. And in doing that, remind ourselves of some key things. In this context, this nation had not too long ago just come out of Egypt. Bondage, slavery, persecution. Literally living under the thumb of Pharaoh all the time. Making bricks and straw, getting beaten every day. And then God saves him, sends a redeemer, Moses, to come out of the land of Egypt. They did nothing for that. And when they leave, they leave with all the wealth of Egypt too. So God gives them stuff. And what he's saying is that every time we get the opportunity, the privilege to give, to sow into somebody or something that God commands us to do, that he leads us to do, we get to remember what God did for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Think about it. What did we receive? We received everything. What did we pay to get that? Nothing. God sent his only eternal beloved son to pay for our sins. And so when we, get, when we give, it reminds us of what he gave us. Ephesians 2 says, being, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ or in Christ. You know what's amazing about that? Is God saved us in the moment where we could never pay him back. God doesn't save people that are saved already. Jesus didn't die for the perfect. We've all heard that, right? He died for the sinners. Why? Because sinners have got nothing to offer God. We had nothing to offer him then. And guess what? Even today we have nothing to offer him. We get to partner with him. Last point. We have to understand how to give to become financially free. So we've settled the ownership issue. We know why we give. We understand what happens to our hearts when we give. But now we have to practically give. And so there's two main ways we give in church, in this local church. It's either cash or credit. I'm just joking. That's a... <laughs> the two ways we give in this local church are tithing and offerings. Tithing comes from the Hebrew word ma'asa, which means a tenth. Literally, that's what it means. It means 10%. There is no confusion around what that word means. Leviticus 7, 20, uh, 27 verse 30 says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So 10% of all the produce belongs to God. In ancient Israel, they kept animals or they farmed fruit. That was their mechanism of trade. And so what it says is that all of that, whatever is produced, 10% goes back to God. It is holy. In the modern age, everything gets converted into money. People still farm, but it's all about money. And so if we had to take the same pr principle, the same principle applies. 10% of whatever we produce belongs to God. Same principle, different medium. But now the question is this. But isn't tithing an Old Testament law? It doesn't exist in the New Testament. Jesus died to free us from the law, marker. Now you're heaping burdens on us. I'm not heaping anything on anyone, just to be clear. Uh, again, we don't, we don't need anything. God looks after us. He's our provider. This is for us, all of us, to be free in what God wants us to do. So the truth is, the Old Testament and the law is over. The New Covenant is what we operate in, the law of grace. It's a law where no longer is the law written on pieces of paper. It's now written on our hearts. We live under the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Same, same people, some people did that many years ago. His name was Abraham, and there was another guy called Jacob. Long before the law ever existed, after they received God's goodness, his grace, and his blessing, they went and offered a tenth of everything they had to God. Tithing happened long before the law. Now again, is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 5%? I'm not going to tell you what to tithe. I'm telling you what the word means. 
What I can say to you is this. I know that some people, God will lead to tithe a lot more than they should. The CEO of Caterpillar, 90% of his income he tithes for his entire life to the church and to many other good causes. Now, at the same time, if you're sitting here saying, I can barely get by and I don't know what to do. Now, I'm not here to put you under guilt. What I am saying to you is that the Bible teaches that regular giving honors God because it's, it's sacrificial. We're working something out of our hearts. The second way we give is we give through our offerings. It's the type of thing that we do when the church is either raising, you know, funny for a, funny, funny, raising funny, raising money for a particular type of initiative. So let's say, for example, uh, we wanted to support a family that was struggling. Maybe their house burnt down and we wanted to build them a new house. That would be an offering. We'd say, listen, we want to raise money. Can we do it? Every year at Hope Rock, we do what we call the Christmas Impact Offering. And we pick different things that we want, to op- we want to invest in for the year ahead. Led by the Lord, we pray about these things and we say, Lord, where do you want us to go and what do we need to resource? Then we come to the church. We say, guys, we want to raise money for next year. This is what we're going to do. In this particular year ahead, there's two things that we've decided to partner with. One is we know that this new venue of ours is a big reality to us. And we have to make sure that everything we want to do fits with our mission statement, to know Christ and to make him known. So how does the venue apply to that? Well, God called us to reach this local community. And not just this local community, to reach the city. And what we know is for us to do that, we have to raise leaders. Why? So we can plant new campuses and or churches. And so this space is needed for our children, and that space is a place to equip more leaders. Our children will eventually become people that plant churches out of this church. And so we've all prayed about it. We didn't just decide on it. Everybody, we've asked you as the church to pray for it. We've asked our deacons to pray about it. We as the elders have prayed about it. We think God's taking us there, so we're going to raise money for that. The second thing that we feel like we need to uh, bring a special offering for this year is for a ministry called 1231, or an initiative, the 1231 Project. If you've never heard of it, this was started in Lake Travis, in the independent school district, for families that are struggling in this area. Now, you might look around you and think, well, how can anyone be struggling? This is Lake Travis. There are people that are struggling. This initiative puts food on people's plates. Literally, for some of them, it's as simple as giving them a meal. So this year, we've committed to 20 meals for 20 families, 10 for Thanksgiving, 10 for Christmas. Is that easy? Simple, right? But in addition, we want to change people's lives for the long term. Not just feed them, we want to teach them how to fish. And so we're going to sponsor two, three, maybe even four families this year to revolutionize the way they live. Take them right out of the depths of poverty. These families have been vetted, and these families are in desperate need for help. We are called to this community. And so in this local church, we want to support the community that God's called us to. God has blessed this church, and honestly, it's because of your generosity. We have a generous church, a church that loves this community. And I'm not just saying because you throw money at it. But honestly, we can see the heart. Look at those backpacks. If anyone here brought stuff for the backpacks, that's a great way of showing how much we love people. That we in this local church would raise you know, 130 backpacks for kids that desperately need it in Roatan. And so I want to honor you guys. You guys are living out your call. You guys are honoring God and you're changing the world, literally. God has resourced us so we can reach the world with the kingdom of God. Of course, there's general generosity, but Mark, you guys can come up. General generosity happens outside of the church. It happens in your lives, whatever you do. I want to encourage you to be generous people. Generous people are the kind of people that not only provide finances to people who need it when they do, but generous people are people who invite people over to their house for dinner. Generosity means maybe you'll take somebody for lunch and pay the entire bill. Generosity means that you might go to someone and say, hey, I know you're struggling. You've got 15 kids and it's really hard work. Can I look after your kids for you? That's a tough one. It's much easier to pay for a babysitter than it is to look after someone's kids. But bring other people into your home. Look after their children once in a while. Generosity has many shapes and forms. It doesn't have to be financial. 
But every time we do it and we're sacrificing something, like, and I'm going to just share another testimony really quick. Catherine would always do this to me. She would come into me and say, guess what, babes, we're looking after so-and-so's kids. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, no, no, no. And, I'm, and initially, I'm angry, right? I'm stuck. Like, I'm like, I'm, I don't talk to anyone. I'm like, just done. Like, whatever, I'm done. I'm out of here. I've got to go do something. What? I don't know, but I've got somewhere to be. And over time, God had helped me to realize that actually it was a privilege to do that, to serve. That, for me, was the hardest, honestly, that aspect of generosity. But my wife helped me in that. Anyway. So, let me close with the scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he is, as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, important. In other words, don't be shy to give, but at the same time, don't give under compulsion. Okay? So don't be shy, but don't give because you're forced to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. He wants your heart to be right. So again, back to the root of all of this is a heart issue, not a giving issue. Okay? Your heart must be right first. Don't give unless your heart is right. And I'm saying that to you this morning. You have permission never to put a cent into this church or any other church if your heart is not right. Don't do it. Honestly. Rather say to the Lord, Lord, help me understand this giving thing. I don't understand it. I'm against it. The world has twisted my mind. Or people have hurt me through giving. Believe me, it happens. And it's happened in the church. Say, Lord, help me figure it out first. Show me that it's real. Show me that this is truly a freeing thing, that it's a worship issue, not a, not a money issue. And then when he's done that, then give. I don't want to guilt anybody into giving. And I'm telling you now, you should never be guilted into giving. God will look after his church. He has done it from day one. Our job is to free you as best we can. So don't be guilted by your giving because maybe you've never given in your life and it's been a constant issue for you. That's fine. Take it to the Lord. He loves you. He loves you the same he loves you today as he did then. You're not going to hell because you didn't give. Your marriage is not going to break down because you didn't give. God loves you. And at the same time, if you've always given... And if you've always been generous and you've always been, you know, the person that's throwing money at everything or giving of your time or doing, laying down your life for other people, don't go to God and say, you see what I've done, Lord. Don't do that because it's just taking a debit. You know, really, you are, it's not about that. Our heart for this local church is we would be financially free. That we would be a people that operate in the fullness of what God has for us so we can reach the people that God's called us to. Do we need resources to do that? Without a doubt. But my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Believe me, God will resource us for what we need to do. The question is, will we participate with Him? And that's between you and God. Not between me and you. Please, it's got nothing to do with it. It's between you and God. But we love every single one of you. When we live financially free, it frames our lives around God. And not God around our lives. It sets the tone for how we do life and ministry. And it deals with some of the most harmful sins in our heart. The sins of wickedness. The sins of covetousness. The sins of greed. The sins of selfishness. Jim Elliot said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If only the rich man knew that. If only he knew that the bonds weren't important, that he could give them all away. I bet you if he could go back, he would change it all. It's interesting. Many people on their deathbed, mighty, like even some people in the kingdom, and I'm not going to mention names, but mighty men who changed people's lives, millions of people, brought them to salvation on their deathbed often look back on their lives with regret because they made it about the things that they were doing for God instead of spending time with God and their family. Now I'm saying that to you this morning because I don't want anyone to be trapped in this. It's not about a, this is not a production mentality. There's no winners and losers. It's a heart issue and it's about worship. I feel like this morning God wants to break strongholds. 
Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.